This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This week on Millennial. I would leave Twitter, but I would not delete my accounts because I own SIMS on Twitter. And over my dead body, will the Sims get that handle? If you're going to leave, I hope you sell it for a buttload of money. It is one of the examples of body shaming that is still seen as acceptable. Fat jokes are still very much in. (laughs) And I can see why because of that, it's still a really touchy subject for people, which is why I'm always so careful. This guy's literally out here murdering people and women that's how bleak the dating scene is where joe from you looks good the bar is so low for men it's so low sure he's a murderer but like at least he'll pay attention to me for a little while which is more than i can say for my last relationship (laughs) welcome to millennial and merry christmas i'm andrew i'm laura and i'm pamela I woke up this morning and Mariah Carey had a video of her transitioning into holiday Mariah Carey. It was kind of strange, though. Did you, Pam, you saw this video, I think? Yeah, I did. I wasn't sure if it was the same one that I had seen, but she starts off as like the Wicked Witch of the West, right? Yeah, but she's on a Peloton bike. And that part I don't get. Did Peloton pay (laughs) her for that? I'm sure it was an endorsement of some sort. Yeah, but why would the witch be on a pellet exercise bike in general? Like, so, I just okay. Didn't... So listen, Wizard of Oz is my favorite movie. In Wizard of Oz, Mrs. Gulch, who's like the mean neighbor, she Dorothy sees her when the tornado is pulling the house up, and she's on a bike. Oh, okay. And then she turns into the Wicked Witch of the West. Okay. Thank you. Now it's You're all welcome. coming together. <laughs> but I love how Mariah capitalizes now on what the internet and what society has come to accept at this point is once Halloween's over, it's Christmas season. And now she's just in on it because she makes, I don't have the stat off the top of my head. I can look it up for a future episode, but she makes a lot of money every Christmas from the royalties yeah. uh, with that song being played nonstop. <laughs> Man, that was just, that was the smartest investment on her part. Yeah. (laughs) When did she record that originally? The 90s sometime? Something like that. Yeah. You know, I think that she must have gotten, I feel like that song got a second wind with Love Actually. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And ever since then, it's become this instant classic. Not that it wasn't good before, that it wasn't being played before, but I really feel like that movie really propelled that song to a new stratosphere. And I think maybe this is a debate we can have sometime, but like, what is the 
song around Christmas. Of course, there's the classics long long before Mariah, but this one, in terms of like modern music, has to be the biggest one. Yeah, it was released in '94, by the way. Nobody's come close to to that hit since then. I'll put it that way. Laura, do you have any extra money to spend on uh, us for Christmas? Yeah, I actually do. So a few months ago, y'all might remember that there was a class action lawsuit against TikTok um, based out of the state of Illinois. However, you didn't necessarily need to be a resident of the state of Illinois. You need to have used TikTok between a certain set of dates. Um, I was somebody who had used TikTok between the dates in question. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to do it for the show. Let's just do it for shits and giggles. So I signed up um, to receive a settlement from this class action lawsuit. And I also opted to have them send me my settlement on Venmo, which is the thing you can do. (laughs) How modern. I received my settlement last Friday. Do you guys want to guess what it is? $5. $5. I'm going to guess a little bit more because you sounded really proud when you started this bit off. So I'm going to say $20. It was $27.84. That's not bad. Yeah. I remember I talked about there was some kind of class action lawsuit against my mortgage lender and I literally got 61 cents from that. <laughs> so I was like, class action lawsuits are bullshit. Not yeah. this one. So, you know, I get $27.84 for letting TikTok violate my privacy and security. (laughs) Why not? All right. Well, (laughs) I won't spend it all in one place. I'm just looking on eBay. You can buy two and a half copies of Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You sealed CD single. Oh, shit. With that $27. Only two and a half copies. Yeah. $9.99 $9.99 wow. a pop. What a steal. $3.49 for shipping. So actually, you can only get two. Just for the song. Yeah, the single Not even CD. the full album. Yes. Or you could go get like probably four Dunkin' Ice Coffees. True. For real. How many tacos can I buy with $27.84? Don't get me <laughs> thinking about tacos again. Laura was all about Taco Bell in the last Hold After on. Dark. I've been Hold thinking on. about it ever since. Did you steal a taco? I didn't. I so Andrew sent the text though to yeah. his credit. He did right. his job. <laughs> yeah, I just I didn't follow through because I am straight and watching the World Series go Phillies, and they have the steal a base, steal taco promotion at Taco Bell. And yeah, so I was watching live as the base was stolen, and I immediately texted Lauren Pam, "Heads up, you can now steal a taco because somebody stole a base." That promotion is still running, by the way. You can actually go and get that taco if you want really the window is open yeah for real it's incredible that they haven't run out i guess run out of white tacos (laughs) well no because usually it's like while supplies last because they only want to give a certain number of free tacos out you know Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. so uh, this is telling me that taco bell is not as cheap as i thought they were wait so i I don't know anything about sports. Am I grandfathered in? Like, can I go to Taco Bell and be like, my friend texted me three days ago. <laughs> I think you just do it on the app. They don't care if you actually watched the World okay. Series or not. Okay. It's through the app. Yeah. But There's if you a Taco pre- Bell app? But yes. listen, I'm not going to go to Taco Bell to steal the taco, even though I've been watching the World Series. So you can have my free taco. There we go. <laughs> we'll just order a bunch of free tacos to Laura's local Taco Bell and she can right, go and collect exactly. them all. Oh, I might shit. actually do that. Yeah, you know you I'm should. crazy like that. 
I would do that. Okay. Let me work <laughs> on that after the show. Let me know your nearest Taco Bell. I'll send you the address. <laughs> so we have to talk about the big story of the week, maybe arguably one of the biggest stories of the year. Elon Musk, the CEO of Tesla and SpaceX, actually went through with his purchase of Twitter for $44 billion dollars which, by the way, is way more than Twitter is currently worth and probably will ever be worth. Elon has been very present on Twitter for years. He's obviously a billionaire. He's a power user of Twitter himself. He's always on there. He's always talking to people. He's talking to the, the just, you know, anybody who who's talking to him in his mentions. And he has said that he wants to make Twitter the town square of the Internet. He wants to reduce content moderation and get rid of permanent bans, unless for very serious violations, so that the platform is fair, air quotes, fair to everyone, left or right. And he wants to let everyone share opinions free of consequences, for the most part. This is my general assessment of of what he believes. But what I want to talk about today, and we're going to take this in a couple of different directions, I think, is, is this even possible? And why this is scaring people so much. Nilay Patel at The Verge. I love this guy. I talk all the time about Leo Laporte at This Week in Tech. This is my next Leo. Like, if Leo retires, I don't care because I have Nilay. I love his podcast, The Verge Cast. I love him. He wrote an excellent piece on why Elon's plan won't work. And it was blunt. It was succinct. It was, it was very good. And it instantly went viral because it just hit the mark on so many fronts. One example of how Elon's grand plan isn't going to work out here is that Elon's going to be hitting laws and regulators around the world who would likely halt any radical plans to open up the platform to any speech because that would just be a disaster. We all like moderation to some extent. Maybe we don't like it when it doesn't go in our favor, but we like being on platforms that moderate the content. And then another issue why Elon's grand plan for opening it up to everybody, you know, free speech, blah, 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 is that advertisers whom he wrote an open letter to last week, they want brand safe environments. They do not want to advertise where anti-Semitism and all kinds of other hate speech just run rampant. They don't want to advertise Christmas M&Ms next to some horrible posts about Jewish people. And if advertisers were to leave Twitter due to horrible speech running rampant, Twitter would be in huge trouble financially. So there has to be content moderations. So there's there's been so much said about this. Yeah. What are your two gut reactions to the events of the past week and what he's said thus far? I think the timing is really interesting. I don't know if it's intentional, but the timing of it happening right before our midterm elections has been interesting. And I've actually, uh, I made the choice and I told y'all I'm stepping away. I'm like going dark on Twitter for a minute here because as soon as this news broke, every conservative grifter was just all over the place talking about how excited they were for the new quote free Twitter and going ahead and sharing some very problematic, I think most of what I saw was transphobic viewpoints, um, as though they weren't already doing that, but they were acting as though they were now free to do that without consequence. I don't really think they were facing very many consequences before. 
And it was just making me really frustrated. I feel like I've already had a foot out the door with Twitter for the last few months because I've really decreased my usage. Um, But sort of seeing what the environment could look like if Elon even gets part of what he wants made me really question if I want to use that platform anymore. Laura made a really important distinction there. Yes, hate speech is running rampant, especially after Elon took over. A lot of people did feel empowered. But like you said, this was happening anyway. Yep. And there were media reports that, you know, Kanye was back after Elon and uh, the hate speech did ramp up. Twitter, not Elon, but somebody else at Twitter who's been there and still remains there, said that there was an increase in hate speech, but it was by a small group of people putting together a sort of smear campaign. I think everybody just needs to keep in mind, be very careful what you read from the media right now. Elon is the media's favorite punching bag. They love attacking him. And yes, a lot of it is valid. Mm -hmm. But they're also not doing their due diligence in a lot of ways. And that's been very frustrating for me to see, too. Yeah. Yeah, I think that a lot of this is very similar in a way to Kanye going on that podcast and saying that it doesn't matter if he says anti-Semitic stuff because Adidas can't cut him. Uh, That's a prime example of fuck around and find out. And I think that you're right in terms of how advertisers really run the world here. Um, that, you know, like Elon can say whatever he wants, but at the end of the day, being the owner of somebody doesn't necessarily entail that you get to do everything you want. Usually there's like a board too that has to vote. So I don't know. I just kind of feel like people on both sides of this situation are going to probably be surprised as to like whatever the middle ground ends up being here Mm -hmm. in terms of what he does change or what he does implement versus what ends up staying exactly the same. And I think that, you know, we might be a little bit surprised too. So I don't doubt that there are changes coming, but I, I don't think it's going to be as much of an anarchy as say like these far right, nut jobs think it is that I also I'm not sure if it's going to be as bleak as some people on the other side of that feel like it's going to be yeah yeah I can see that but he still could fuck it up and let's talk about how he could (laughs) fuck it up so there have been many updates over the last week if you know Elon like I said he loves Twitter he's all over Twitter this this situation in a lot of ways feels like when Donald Trump won the election in 2016 we just didn't know what to expect and the left was like oh my god America is over and in some ways it it did end it felt like and then on the right everybody felt empowered by his victory and we have just entered this new period of the unknown on Twitter. We really don't know what's going to happen next. And it is pretty scary. So some of the updates, and this could all change. Elon is promising a a council to make big reinstatement decisions because one of the big questions is, will Trump come back? Trump has said as recently as the past 24 hours that he's good on truth social. He doesn't want to come back to Twitter. I don't know if I believe that. Twitter's yeah, his that's first love. Bullshit. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's bullshit. Yeah. He loves the spotlight, too. And he would do it just despite everybody who said he would never be able to. Yeah. yeah. Truth Social is also flaming out. And he's not got as wide a reach there. So I right. don't buy it. I think he'd come back to Twitter in an instant if allowed. 
but he does own it. So he does have reason for it to work. So we'll see if this board, if this council comes together for the big reinstatement decisions. Content moderation, like I said a few minutes ago, has not stopped despite trolls claiming victory. That's still in place. It might change, but moderation is still there. And like I said, it has to stay there. Otherwise, advertisers are going to run. They don't want to be a part of a mess. Elon's put together a war room where he's making decisions fast. There was this minor but interesting example. He's already changed Twitter's homepage for those who aren't logged in. Previously, when you went to Twitter.com, you just see a, a page that says, hey, welcome to Twitter. Register before you look at anything. Now, it just brings you right to the Explore page, which actually kind of seems like a good idea. Give people a preview of Twitter if they're not logged in. Um, but it also just illustrates how Elon's moving very quick to make some changes because I was reading how a, d- a decision like that with the old Twitter would have taken months to, to come to that conclusion. But now with mm-hmm. Elon in charge, he's like making all the decisions by himself. Here's something that I think a lot of people would actually like if it worked out. He's considering bringing back Vine, <laughs> the original TikTok. Yeah. Those short six second videos. Honestly, I mean, I know that TikTok is um, is moving towards longer form options now, but TikTok is still kind of hanging in the balance in terms of what politicians would like to see happen with the platform. So let's just say an all out ban of TikTok does take place. Maybe everybody laughing about Vine coming back will be like, well, I guess it's time to try that out. Yeah. So you never know. And so many Vines still are in pop culture right now. I mean, Vine was so big. Twitter made a huge mistake by shutting that down. And I think it would be nice. Here's what would suck. He he brings back Vine and you can make videos that are up to like 10 minutes long. The magic of Vine was that it was six second videos. So if they brought back Vine, kept it six seconds, I think that would be amazing. Yeah. Because that's been the beauty of Twitter too. It forces, it gives you limits. And it would give them a direct competitor to TikTok. Yeah, that's true. And so the biggest change of all, and this has been getting all the talk on social media this past week, taking a step back for a second, like I said, he personally bought this for $44 billion, and now he has to make his money back, especially because Twitter's going to have a billion dollars in interest annually on the debt he took to complete the acquisition. So he at least needs to generate a billion dollars a year. What a fucking idiot. His idea. Because didn't he. Go ahead. Sorry, Andrew. Didn't he do this based on his Tesla stock? Like, isn't that how he was able. He sold a lot of Tesla stock. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Of his own Tesla stock. Right. Mm-hmm. So he. One of the things he said is he wants to make Twitter more about subscriptions, which isn't necessarily a bad idea. We've spoken before about how everything's about a subscription. Patreon, the streaming apps, in-car subscriptions now. Everything's a subscription. So he's putting together a plan to charge to have the blue check next to a verified account. The Verge initially reported that they were looking at rolling verification into their existing Twitter Blue subscription and raising the price on that to $20 a month. So basically, the headline here was... $20 a month to keep your blue check on Twitter. That's outrageous. Nobody wants to pay Twitter to continue having a blue check, which a lot of people don't even like having. (laughs) A lot of people brought this up. They were like, you kind of have an air of dickishness about you when you do have a blue check. And I've mentioned before, I have a blue check on Facebook. I hate going into local groups with my blue check and talking about, you know, (laughs) 
the fucking weather in Vegas. Like you I like it sometimes though. Uh, right. When I'm pissy and wanna make a yeah, wanna <laughs> wanna make my point, I think it helps. Yeah. <laughs> so you're not a blue check on Twitter? I thought you were. No, no. Okay. But apparently I'll be able to pay. So now so now Elon's saying he was literally bartering with Stephen King in the past 24 hours Stephen King was like I'm not paying for a blue check they should pay me fuck this then Elon's like how about $8 a month oh my god (sighs) and then earlier today Elon said they're gonna do it for $8 a month so but still you have to pay to have a blue check and through all of this what Elon doesn't seem to understand and this is just one of many reasons why this purchase is not gonna work out for him Verification has been important because you know who to trust on Twitter. If you see a tweet about some news item, you know you can trust it if there's a blue check there and it says, I'm a journalist at this publication. I know that's not a bad actor. I know that's somebody who's just doing a public service reporting news. That was the original purpose of the blue checks, you know, knowing who to trust. But now it's turned into a status symbol where it's cool to have a blue check and Elon's taking advantage of that and rolling it into Twitter blue so you can feel cool too but you have to pay $8 a month to get to and th- this is the other question do you automatically get a blue check just for paying or do you still have to get verified yeah he hasn't really addressed that yet yeah <sighs> which isn't surprising to me cuz Elon's just kind of a troll i feel like when you read through his twitter he is often intentionally inflammatory or aloof. And I feel like this is another example of that. He's just trying to throw his weight around by showing, oh, ha ha, I bought Twitter for an insanely ridiculous amount of money. Look at me and all of my Tesla money. So I don't know. Like, I don't really know what his long-term game plan is here. I do wonder if it does go that route, Andrew. Will not having a blue check be the new blue check? Like, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, what I hope is that okay. Let's say you do. So he, they've already announced that you're gonna have to pay to to keep your blue check, which is just hilarious. Like now they're gonna force. And brands so many people and, are mad about this too. Yes. like I've seen so many people on twitter that i follow that are pissed off about this and obviously not people that have like a huge amount of fame but it is it is kind of interesting to see how many people are really upset about it as they should be there's no reason they should have to pay for this i would have thought they'd at least be grandfathered in but that wasn't the case but here's here's what i'm praying for because then it's gonna get it's gonna get really bad if the blue check that we all know is the only identification of that being a legitimate trusted account they need to at least have like a public figure tag Mm -hmm. whether you pay or not so verified people if you don't pay for the blue check you at least have public figure just to just so you know that twitter did verify this person at some point and it is a legitimate account I agree. it feels like to that point they they kind of already have a feature that they could you know, maybe make some tweaks to that would work that way because now you can um, set your, I don't know if it's like set your occupation or your specialty or something. Like if you go on my Twitter, I'm set as a journalist because that's what I am. Um, But then it has like that disclaimer that it hasn't been verified and I haven't seen them 
you know, making any strides to try and figure out how they could put in a process that would allow people that set themselves as certain professions to get verified for that. But it feels like that might be a really easy thing to implement since they already have that in place. And that doesn't require verifying people's blue check status or whatever. So without that, it's just like, this is going to be really a big mess. And I've seen a lot of people pointing out that like, okay, so let's say it was $20. Now it's $8. Now when you see a blue check, you're just going to think, oh, that asshole is actually paying just to keep his blue check. You just see that person as a dork for paying to keep the blue check because it's purely a vanity thing. I think it's going to be worse for for public figures that are, you know, and also people that are um, aligned with smaller outlets. I'm sure that larger outlets, like I'm sure New York Times is just going to pay for all its staff to keep verification status, you know? Right. But like, if like, if I suddenly rolled up to Twitter with a blue check mark, everybody would know that I was, you know, paying for that. (laughs) Right. That would be really lame. I think like if any, any of us three did, people would just assume that we were paying. But I guess we could also like, you know, shoo that away by saying, well, it's actually, it's millennial that's paying. Yeah, but we would. (laughs) Which would be pretty funny. But we would We would shame the shit out of each other for that. We would. Let's not lie. (laughs) (laughs) It'd be funny if we just like did it for a month to just see if any of our listeners like commented or anything like, hey, why are you paying? (laughs) Oh, it might be interesting to to, to do it for a month and then just say like, we've seen the other side and we're happy being unverified. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and that's the other thing. Like Twitter Blue does have other features. Right now it has the edit button Presumably, they're going to roll that out to everybody in time. You might be able to get less ads on Twitter, Elon saying. So there will be some other benefits. And then maybe it'll be socially acceptable to actually pay for Twitter Blue. There's no point in paying for Twitter Blue. And this doesn't make it any more uh, appealing. So what are the red lines for us for actually leaving Twitter? Laura said she's currently laying low on Twitter uh, Laura's been on Twitter for a very long time. I've been on Twitter since 2007, I think. Pam, how long have you been on Twitter? Like 2007, 2008, something like that. We're all very yeah. early adopters when mm-hmm. it comes to Twitter. Yeah, I think a red line for me would be Trump actually coming back because January 6th, that's it. That's yeah. like objectively, he incited people on Twitter. He continued to even as the attack began. I just, it's unforgivable. He should never be allowed back on Twitter or any meta social media networks. And he'll do it again. Oh, yeah. He hasn't Mm -hmm. learned his lesson. We see it all the time on Truth and when he talks in interviews. I just like, I really hate that we're in a position now where we have to even think about this because regardless of how much we utilize Twitter, Twitter is a really it can be a very helpful tool. It's yeah. great for networking. It's good for news aggregation. Um, it's where all of us probably have our most active platforms if we wanted to use them. And I really appreciate that it's there for that. But, you know, obviously, something like a, a January 6th round two would far outweigh the benefits. It's just really shitty that like, we have to think that way. And then people with even larger platforms than we have have to think that way, too. Yeah. 
there is so much to love on Twitter. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm chuckling every day at stuff I read on Twitter. It's addicting. You refresh. You've always got more tweets waiting for you. It's not a good thing that it's addicting, but it it keeps me entertained during the day when I'm sitting here working. It's like a little cigarette break. I just refresh Twitter and I see some good new stuff. And to your point about news, that's where you that's where I hear about news first all the time, because that's where journalists go to break stories first. Yeah. And it's so much easier to get on Twitter and just like if you have something to say about something you want to weigh in, it's so much easier to just like craft a tweet than it would be to say flee to a TikTok and actually have to sit there and record. Yeah. You know, your hot take or whatever you wanted to weigh in on, which like I guess you can make the argument that who really needs to weigh in on anything. But, you know, if you can't help yourself, you need to sometimes. It's just nice to know it's there. Yeah. And and to your point. Katie Natopoulos, writing for BuzzFeed, she said, I know you're just like me, not hot enough for Instagram, too lazy for Substack. Twitter is our perfect sweet spot. This is our heaven. I can't lose this. We can't. And there have been a lot of takes like that, just admitting like, I love Twitter. Sorry, not sorry. And I understand it. Yeah. Honestly, for me, I would leave Twitter, but I would not delete my account because I own S-I-M-S on Twitter. And over my dead body, will the Sims or any other Sims fan or Sims person get that handle? If you're going to leave, I hope you sell it for a buttload of money. See, that's what I would do. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That's what I'll try to do. Okay. I'll just, okay. Trump's back. Oh my God. This is awful. To the highest bidder. Yeah. I guess the highest bidder. I was going to, I would love if the Sims bought it off of me. That's really all I want. (laughs) Right. But I'm sure they will be the highest bidder. They got money. True. Yeah. I, I would just that would be a perfect <laughs> ending for all the years I've endured people tweeting me, hey, the Sims is broken, fix it. Or hey, this new bug fix just made things worse. Uh, this is all that my mentions look like. I <laughs> it would be very much worth it for the Sims to have it, to to buy it off of me. That would be a wonderful ending for me. Some celebrities have already left Twitter. I one of the bigger ones I noticed was Shonda Rhimes. Left Twitter, a lot of a lot of celebs saying they're not going to pay for the blue check. And that's easier to do when you have an established audience that, you know, is going to follow you and continue following you no matter where you go. But for smaller creators like us, it really sucks. Yeah. Because it depending on what happens here, it can become a moral dilemma. But then... <laughs> We also recognize that our growth on Twitter has been really positive for our show. And ideally, we would like to continue doing that. So it then becomes a question of like, do we maintain a show presence on Twitter? And then we all individually go dark. And that's, you know, that's where I struggle with it, too, because outside of the show, you know, I'm still a member of the media and it is helpful to get on there and like, you know, during award show season is probably when I'm most active. And I know it sounds silly. It looks really superficial. But like, just being involved in that conversation is super helpful for me because I have a paper trail and I can show perspective yeah. um, employees or collaborators like, look, like I'm active in these circles. Yeah. And a lot of people, to your points, have built up a significant following on Twitter and only on Twitter. So I feel really bad for those types of people because there are a lot of great communities on Twitter. I'm thinking about, again, the journalism communities, the writing communities. They've built great brands for themselves on there. And these people, you know, they're tweeting their thoughts throughout the day. They're getting tons of likes and retweets. I'm really proud of these people. 
But now they must be looking at this, and I know they're not a fan of Elon, and they must be looking at this and just being like, I I feel stuck. But this is why all creators, you just have to diversify. You can't just build a brand on Twitter or any other social media platform. You got to do it in many different places. So it's tough. It's just another reason being a independent creator is tough. And, and relying on social media in general is tough. Well, we've already been going for a half hour here, but I do want to close on one more thing that has been bugging me. I mentioned before the media, Elon is the media's favorite punching bag. I do find some of the criticism, some of the criticism of Elon very unfair. I will preface this though by saying Elon is a nut job. I will never deny that. But there's a lot of Tesla hate when Tesla is an extremely successful company. They are the leader in electric vehicles. There's no company even close to what they're doing. SpaceX, the company that Elon founded and owned, they work very closely with NASA. NASA cannot do many missions without SpaceX, and NASA is funding SpaceX significantly. Jumping back to Tesla, Tesla's got the supercharging network. This is an incredible network of electric vehicle chargers around the world, but um, in the U.S., it's really impressive. If you want to get somewhere in this country, anywhere, if I want to leave from Vegas right now, I can get to New Jersey and not even think about it. It's going to build in supercharging stops along the way. And critically, it's it's going to be fast charging and reliable charging. And you cannot, you cannot get this with any other charging network in the country right now. And Tesla is so far ahead there that nobody is ever going to catch up. And Tesla's starting to open these superchargers up to other EVs. So if you have an EV, if you want an EV, in the future, you're probably going to use a supercharger and you're going to like it because unlike <laughs> unlike these other charging stations, you know that they will be working. And there's just a lot of misinformation about t- Tesla that I see online. People get you know fired up about the cars crashing or exploding as if regular cars don't crash and explode thanks to humans every fucking second of the day and liberals want a clean energy future so i don't understand all the tesla hate all the time are they perfect no but they're way better than the medium media paints them out to be and some of that is because of elon and a lot of that is because of the great teams at tesla and spacex so Yeah. Unfortunately, we live in a time where here it comes. We don't have a lot of nuance. And I think people just take these sports team mentality approaches towards things instead of acknowledging that multiple truths can very much exist. Tesla is a great company and Elon Musk is clearly a very, very smart person. There's no doubt about that. He's also a nut job. <laughs> Both things can be true. And uh-huh. you don't need to tear down something that has objectively provided good things to the world and to this country in particular. But you don't need to tear that down in order to justify Elon Musk being a fucking nutcase. Yeah. They can both be true. Yes. Unfortunately, people just don't. There's they're so short. We're all so short sighted now because we are addicted to things like a 24 hour news cycle. We, you know, all benefit from instant gratification. And I think particularly social media culture and Twitter culture conditions people into thinking that 
each conversation is a debate between two sides and you must pick one of those sides and you have to agree with every tenet of that side of a conversation in order to be, quote, right. Well said. I mean, that's just one of the problems with society right now. And Twitter doesn't help that, to be fair. The internet doesn't like nuance. The internet likes Mm -mm. the hard takes on one side or the other. That's what gets the likes and retweets. Not the, yeah, he's a nut, but... No, that's not cool to say. You have to say, those cars have fucking digital whoopee cushions in there. That's fucking dumb. (laughs) I'm biased, but I think what you said, Laura, was, was very well said. And I actually was thinking about your favorite word, nuance, all week. Because there's just such a huge lack of nuance when it comes to Elon. And he's here to stay. Okay? I don't love him either. But he's here to stay. And he is doing some good. Twitter's going to... This whole thing's going to be a bomb. I completely agree with that. But Tesla and SpaceX, those things are very well established already and are not going anywhere. And they're doing a lot of good. So anyway, we'll cover any other big developments in the months and years ahead. But for now, let's move on. I know, Pam, you wanted to mention, uh, we're going to talk about Taylor Swift's latest music video. It's getting some backlash. But you also did a Geeked Out on our Patreon, patreon.com slash millennial. Yeah. So for anybody who doesn't know or maybe forgot, because we're not doing these with any sort of regularity, uh, for 2022, the three of us are doing two installments each of a new benefit called Geek Out. And it basically just exists to give each of us a little bit more time to dive in deeper to things that we're really excited about. So I did a little bonus episode just around the general theme of music with my brother a couple of months ago. And because Taylor released her new album, Midnights, I really wanted to dedicate my last one of the year to talking about that, reviewing it. And uh, Chloe our beloved social media manager, she joined me for that. She was also really excited about the album. So we just had a lot of fun, you know, going through that and talking about our history of being Taylor Swift fans and what we thought of the album, all that good stuff. So you can listen to that on Patreon if it interests you. It's about an hour long. So uh, it's some pretty good content in terms of like the amount of time you'll get to spend with us doing that. So I hope you all enjoy it if you haven't listened yet. Okay, sounds good. And well, yeah, go ahead. Okay, I, I didn't know if you wanted me to just like jump in. But... Jump in, dive right cool. in. <laughs> All right. Well, one of the things that we did touch on as part of that geek out is Taylor Swift's first music video for her 10th studio album, Midnights. It's for the track Antihero. It's her first single of sorts from the album. And this music video was released on October 21st, which is the same day that the album came out. And like Andrew teased, the music video overall was really interesting concept. She wrote and directed it, but it was really kind of trending on Twitter because of one scene in particular. And I'm sure that you guys have heard about this too, because it's been all over the place online. Basically, for anybody that doesn't know, the music video features all of Taylor's nightmare scenarios and intrusive thoughts playing out in real time. That is from the official description that is on the post announcing the music video on her Instagram too. So that's verbiage that she used to describe it. And it features her running away from ghosts, literally appearing larger than life at a dinner party with disgruntled guests and also getting drunk with a glamorous version of herself who just passes judgment on all her flaws at any time she messes up. But 
The one scene that everybody seems to be focusing on is one where she steps on a scale and the camera pans down. And instead of showing a a number in terms of how much she weighs, the scale just says fat. And then this glamorous alter ego of herself just kind of looks down at it disapprovingly. And you can tell that the other tailor just feels really shitty about that. So that definitely struck a nerve with a lot of people online. And it's a really interesting situation because Taylor herself has spoken about her own struggles with distorted eating and body dysmorphia in her Netflix documentary, Miss Americana, which came out, which came out a few years ago. Uh, but some fans say that despite the fact that she has struggled with these things, that scene is still incredibly fat phobic. And that's kind of where we are. So when Chloe and I talked about this, Basically, my stance was that I had a hard time feeling like I was allowed to pass judgment. Firstly, because I don't feel like the scene was put in there with malicious intent. And also because people that have struggled with body dysmorphia and eating disorders, myself included, everybody kind of goes through their own journey. And I just kind of feel like it's unfair to discredit how someone feels on both sides. So I feel like my stance was that I felt like it was unfair of everybody to discredit how Taylor felt or assume that she did it with any kind of malice. And it's also unfair for people defending Taylor to say that everybody that felt like it was too far and it was unnecessary that they're in the wrong too. But I'd love to hear what you both think since you weren't a part of that discussion and this is going out to the masses. The first emotional reaction I felt to it was like, girl, same. (laughs) Although it's a very personal and incredibly complicated set of emotions, I think a lot of people, I wouldn't even just limit this to women, I would say that probably a lot of people can resonate with a feeling like that, with stepping on a scale and feeling like their whole value is determined by the number that they see there. And I I thought that that was the message that Taylor was trying to convey about her own personal experience. I, like you, Pam, I never want to try and invalidate the way that somebody feels. And I can understand why for someone who has had experience with eating disorders or body dysmorphia, they might see that and it might feel a little bit triggering to see something like that represented in pop culture. So I'm not about to tell people how they should or shouldn't feel. On a personal level, though, I felt camaraderie because I've felt that way too. Yeah, I guess especially when you take into account knowing what Taylor has been through. But my key takeaway is that it doesn't seem like she might not have been thinking about how this might be perceived by others Mm -hmm. and the reaction that this might get. Does that seem to be the the big issue here? Or maybe she did and she just didn't care? I think so. I think it's really because, like I said, you know, um, disordered eating and body dysmorphia, they're they're very um, it's like a very personal journey that everybody kind of goes through. And so I, I just feel like maybe 
it got lost in that. Like she was just thinking like, this is what it feels like for me. And this is how I want it depicted in the song. I'm not really thinking about anybody else, which, you know, I guess then you could say it shows it showcases a bit of a lack of empathy or, or maybe shows that there was nobody on her team to tell her that she needed to maybe reconsider how she portrayed that feeling. Um, and I think that uh, some of the best discussion I've seen happening surrounding this involves people talking about it in those terms, just about how it could have been portrayed in a different way, because it didn't necessarily have to be the word fat. Um, it could have yeah. been, you know, just like not enough, or they could have just not even shown a close up of the scale. Right. Yeah. But but I do think that, you know, perhaps the idea of that was was meant to make us feel uncomfortable. And so it was kind of deemed as like, oh, like this is kind of edgy and nobody would expect us to do mm-hmm. this. And maybe it'll open up a really interesting and important conversation for people to have. So Yeah. I agree with the the take that it maybe shows a lack of self-awareness on her part and on her team's part, I do wonder about the impact if this message had been conveyed in a different way. I was just thinking, you know, what if it shows her step on the scale, she looks down and you see a look of disappointment cross her face and you see her alter ego sneer at her or say something that appears to be disparaging I think the same message might have come across. Um, It just might not have been as visceral as seeing that word on the scale. Um, So it it could have been an artistic choice. Might have been a little bit of a lack of self-awareness, maybe some empathy lacking there. But I will say in Taylor's defense, and I'm not even not even a big Taylor Swift fan. Um, But as someone who's aware of her and aware of her career, I think it always behooves people to think about the artist or the person and how they are in sort of all facets of their self and making themselves publicly available the way they do. From what my understanding is that Taylor Swift is incredibly kind and generous with her fans. And I would just hope that that would be enough for people to give some benefit of the doubt here. You know, you can still feel how you want to feel about the choice. I'm not saying that you should feel differently, but maybe don't be so quick to ascribe nefarious intent to this just based off the person that a lot of her fans seem to know and believe she is, right? And I think people have forgiven this now, right? I think they would have preferred that she released a statement of some sort, but she did fix it, so at least there's that. Yeah. And you also just keep in mind, everybody makes mistakes. We spoke about Beyonce and Lizzo and those corrections. Like, it just happens the longer your career goes on the more the higher the chance that you are going to screw up at at some point 
Yeah, I want to I do want to talk about Beyonce and Lizzo, because I think the juxtaposition of what is happening here and what happened with them is very interesting. But before we get too far into it, I did want to read a portion of this email that we got from one of our Bay listeners, Rachel, because I think that Rachel um, really touches on something that we haven't talked about and might offer up insight to other listeners as to why this really struck a bad nerve with even some fans as well. So Rachel wrote, I think one of the big mistakes Taylor and her team made was describing the song slash video as Taylor's nightmares and then having the scale say fat for a person who has always been objectively thin. I also don't think she did it maliciously. I don't want to invalidate her ED experience. I get what she was trying to say, but as a fat person saying that one of your worst nightmares is to be fat like me doesn't strike me as does strike me as fat phobic and undermines the point Taylor has tried to make previously about the societal pressures on women and how we're supposed to look. I think the point could have been made without showing a close up or any word on the scale at all, just showing Taylor step on the scale and the alter eager ego Taylor shaking her head. It would have shown her struggle with body issues while also not necessarily assigning fat as the worst nightmare scenario. I might have still drawn criticism, but it wouldn't have been overtly fat phobic. I still love Taylor. I still like the song. I think it's good that she, like Beyonce and Lizzo, listened to fans and took it out. But I do kind of hope that she sits with why the word fat was put on there at all, because though she has struggled with eating disorders, she does not have the experience of actually being fat, living in a body that the world is not made to accommodate certain kinds of folding chairs, planes, the Harry Potter ride, clothes, the way people treat you, etc. And fat phobia is rampant and rooted in things like misogyny, which obviously Taylor already doesn't like. So it would be worth some self-examination. We all have biases that we have to unlearn. Hmm. That's well said. So you brought up uh, Lizzo and Beyonce, Andrew, and... In their case, for anybody that doesn't remember, they removed uh, what is now referred to as an ableist slur from their respective tracks, Heated and Girls. Um, so they both took very swift action to remove that word as well. But I think the difference is really that, firstly, both of them, either on their own, like Lizzo, through a spokesperson like Beyonce, released statements um, kind of apologizing for just being a little narrow-minded and not realizing that that was not a word that was appropriate to use. Um, but I also think that it's interesting because I don't think that fat is inherently derogatory, but society has kind of made us feel like it is. And it's not a slur, you know? And I don't know, maybe Laura, since, you know, you're the linguistics expert, you you might have some insight. <laughs> well, I don't know <laughs> if I would call to... myself an expert, but I can speak from some personal experience here um, because I, and this has been a journey for me, y'all. I mean, I've been uh, a larger person my entire life and I've struggled with that and I've struggled with how to talk about it and how to feel about how other people talk about it. And on a personal level, I agree, Pam. I don't I don't think the word fat is inherently a slur or an insult. However, it often gets used as a pejorative. Um, and that can make it really hard for people to 
get comfortable with the term or to even think about if it's something they want in their own self-descriptive vocabulary, I will personally refer to myself as fat. However, and I'm saying this, I'm saying this here and now, I have avoided doing so in a public sense, like in the sphere of this show, because I understand that that word can be very triggering for people. And I never want, we have a very small audience, but even so, I never want somebody who's listening to this show to hear me say that and think that I'm using it as negative self-talk and then feel bad about themselves. So I've made a personal choice not to do that in public settings or in mixed company. I really only do it when I'm with my close circles of people that I know and know me really well and that I trust. So I think it's I think it's deeply personal whether or not you're comfortable with that word and people's preferences should be honored and respected. Unfortunately, they're often not. And I think that fat phobia is one of the, and see, I want to be careful here because I don't want to speak out of turn, but I think in a lot of ways it is one of, one of the examples of body shaming that is still seen as acceptable. You know, we talk about other types of, quote, humor (laughs) that relate to different types of uh, body states that have become let or have become more unacceptable over time, right? Even just looking at the Lizzo and Beyonce examples, we all remember in our lifetimes a time where it was totally fine and acceptable to use the word they used or to use the R word, and it was fine. And it's not fine now. Fat jokes are still very much in. (laughs) And I can see why because of that, it's still a really touchy subject for people, which is why I'm always so careful around use of the word. Sorry, that was like a very roundabout way of answering your question. No, (laughs) but, but I think that you made a really good point. And I also just really don't, I don't know what the right word is to use, um, like you, because I think that we're at a point right now where everybody has their own personal preferences. Some people will get upset at you if you don't use the word fat, because they're saying that, you know, it's not a dirty word, and we shouldn't treat it like a dirty word. I understand that. But like, how are you supposed to know if that's how somebody feels? Or if that's, it's kind of like, you cannot give somebody an identifier without them first telling you um, what what they want to identify as and the same kind of goes for being fat or being plus size or being bigger, whatever you want to call yourself. If you are in that boat. You also think about how like these words may have been used to insult somebody when they were growing up. So it's very traumatizing. Mm -hmm. It also kind of reminds me of how the LGBTQ community has taken back the word queer. It used to be Mm -hmm. a slur. We've taken it back. Great. However, a lot of gay people 
And I know somebody who's actually who said this on Instagram like a month ago. They still don't like the word queer because of its history. But it's tough because it's like you just don't you're not going to know that unless you happen to see on this guy's Instagram that he doesn't like the word queer. So it's like this really tough balance you have to strike. So then what you do is you just try to avoid the word altogether unless you you're around to your point Laura a trusted company and you know where the line is amongst that company and it's hard too because language evolves whether really quick you, whether you like it or not it does and i think what is happening right now and this doesn't just pertain to discussion around the word fat i think it applies to a lot of things there are a lot of burgeoning social justice movements that are happening. And I think a lot of us are trying to figure out the right ways to communicate and the right ways to speak about these things. And speaking for myself, I mean, I I still feel like I'm ignorant of some things and it's never my intention to be hurtful to people. Unfortunately, you kind of don't figure out that you're doing it until you do it, right? Like you you kind of have to fuck up to figure out the right way to do it. And it comes with like the confluence of all these complications, like what Pam brought up about some people feeling it's okay and feeling, um, you know, very strongly about that. I know we've talked on the show before about how there are now different categories of fat that some people will use to refer to themselves and others. I don't understand that. And I've found myself at times being like, I kind of want to stay away from this because I don't know the right way to talk about this. And I am I am a member of the plus size community and even I don't know how to talk about this. So it's just it's it's confusing. It's clunky. Yeah. Right. As we're figuring it all out. And my hope is that we can just afford each other space (laughs) to learn and be better about these things. And I think also it's a point that's been raised on this show many times before. You can usually gauge pretty easily, especially with high profile figures. You can gauge the kind of intent behind a statement which is why I tend to say with regard to this whole Taylor scenario, she seems like someone who has been very good to her fans, continues to be, and has advocated for a lot of really good social justice causes. So I would tend to think that her heart is in the right place and this was failed execution. I think that you're right. I think we... I'll just need to, instead of attacking, just take a step back and really think about the intent, which is so true for so many (laughs) aspects of life, uh, especially when we're living in a time where everybody is very reactionary to a lot of different situations. You can talk about intent and impact, right? It's totally fine to say this probably was not Taylor Swift's intent. However, the impact was still negative for some people. Again, both of those things can be true. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's also important for Taylor to keep in mind that just because some of your fans knows that you had an eating disorder 
it doesn't mean that all of them do. So on its face, you look at this moment in the music video and you're like, what the fuck? Why does this person, a skinny girl, hate seeing the word fat on the scale? Yeah, I think that I don't know how to bring this up without like bring launching us into something that might be a larger conversation. So it doesn't have to be. But I will say that like one of the other reasons that this struck a nerve is because if you look at somebody like Taylor Swift, who is very thin naturally and also probably unnaturally when she was, you know, struggling at her worst, I don't think that it's impossible for society to believe her when she says she struggled with disordered eating. But the same cannot be said for people in larger bodies. Um, When I was struggling through my eating disorder and in talking about it, I will say that um, I have had people say that they were just surprised because I've never been that thin. And it's so funny because, you know, it's like, of course, like at my thinnest, at the worst, at like my lowest point, I was maybe a size 12, which is, it's not very large. It's actually like a very average size. Yeah. But then to like share that and have somebody say, well, like, you never looked that thin. So we didn't think it was a problem is really shitty too. So I can see why it could also be hurtful to see something like this and then and then be in a position where you are struggling and you're not believed because I've definitely been there. So yeah. man, that that must have been really hard to share. So thank you. Yeah. I'm also really fucking mad <laughs> hearing that that happened to you. And I'm going to need some names, Pam. <laughs> when we finish, I'm going to okay. send me some names. I'm pissed. Sounds good. People suck. But yeah. Laura's going to come for all of you. <laughs> That's right. Well, there's probably no way to transition, but that was a good discussion on the uh, issue. And glad to see that Taylor Swift fixed it. Now we have a lighter topic to round this out today. Ish. Kind of lighter, right? I was going to say. No? Is incest a lighter topic? <laughs> well, in the in the context of Game of Thrones, I think it is. <laughs> I feel like we're not faced by anything anymore as a society, so That's maybe true. it is a lighter topic. No- nothing is shocking anymore. Just another Sunday on HBO. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we wanted to talk about, you know, House of the Dragon recently wrapped its first season. We wanted to take some time to give kind of some high-level... Um, takes on the season we don't want to get into too much spoiler territory because we know some people might not have finished yet and a lot of spoilers probably aren't necessary for this discussion um and the reason we wanted to talk about this is because there is a lot of thirsting happening and that has been happening over the incest fantasy that is Rhaenyra and Daemon Targaryen from House of the Dragon and I thought I would uh, open this up by asking, is anyone on this panel in that camp? Thirsting? And thirsting. <laughs> like, like, no. Oh my God, it's so hot. I can't wait to see more of this no. uh, uncle <laughs> pursuing his niece. No. no. I think maybe like some terrified intrigue because you never know how far game of thrones is going to take it but i wouldn't consider that to be thirsting it's just more like oh god how far are you actually gonna go you know and you look at these two humans you're like okay they're attractive people 
Right. So and they I have think, good chemistry. Yeah. And I think to some extent, that's really what a lot of people are actually thirsting over. They're not th- thirsting over the incestual element here, um, that little angle. But I, I think this is what people have come to expect of Game of Thrones, like we're saying. And I think there's just the shock value, too, that people find not attractive, but really intriguing. It's just like, whoa, they're going there again, but they're going there. It's kind of like the foot fetish thing. There was that in one of the episodes of the season. It's like you just didn't really expect it, even though you do. Yeah. And it's like, oh, OK, you don't really see this too often. It's it's just surprising. <laughs> And I love that you brought up the fact that they're going there again, because obviously this is not the first time Game of Thrones has done this. Um, most notably, um, the the core series, I guess we can call it, did it with Cersei and Jamie Lannister. We had Jon Snow and Daenerys Targaryen found out, you know, even though I think most people pegged it earlier on, that she was his aunt. <laughs> Um, so they, they aren't afraid to go there, but it is interesting because never during the core series were people online thirsting over these incestuous relationships. <laughs> so what's happening with Rhaenyra and Damon is very different from what was happening in the original show. And I think we can probably chalk some of that up to the chemistry between these actors and probably people feeling safe that, you know, they're not actually related. So maybe there's some projection happening based on the actors, not so much the story. Um, But I did want to ask, you know, watching this, do we accept this to a degree because the setting is medieval and because we know stuff like this absolutely happened yeah. in medieval times. It was very commonplace. I think it's part of the appeal. And some people, some people, I guess, just do find the actual incest part of it hot. There's been a running joke on this show about familytick.com. There's so much porn that's, you know, stepdad and stepmom and <laughs> stepteacher. Like, <laughs> people love the family stuff. So, Andrew, I was not going to out you, but since <laughs> you brought it up, I was going to ask as a fan of familydick.com. Oh, my God. Oh, my How God. How do you feel about this? I need to go back and listen to that original discussion because I have a hard time <laughs> believing I said I'm a fan of FamilyTikTok. <laughs> what I later clarified is that I have been attracted to the cross-generation stuff. But I'm not like, oh my God, that guy is hooking up with his son. That's so hot. But what you mean is cross-generation meaning age gaps? Age gaps. Age gaps, yeah. Not okay. family. No, 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 no. Age gaps. Like, I don't know what the what a better phrase for it is. Yeah. I'm glad that we clarified that today. But yeah, so there there is a market for that. But yeah, I do think, like you said, going back to medieval times, there is that angle too. We like period pieces. <laughs> I think that it's like, <laughs> I hate to say this because I think it's all wrong inherently, but it is marginally better that it's like an uncle and a niece. The, Jamie and Cersei was like a little too close, you know, that's as, basically as close as you can get. Um, I think that like, I, I didn't really 
in a strange sort of way, I didn't connect the the medieval thing to it, but I think that you're right. I think specifically with Rhaenyra and Damon, that is like easier to explain if you just say, well, it was medieval times and all of the royals were fucking each other so that they could keep the blood in the same line. Well, and that's kind of what the Targaryens do in this right. story. Like, And they have talked about that, too, yeah. like, in the context of the show. So, yeah, I mean, they're trying to maintain purity of their blood. I mean, we kind of see this, too, because they're the only other family that they'll marry into are the Valerians, right? And they're also related. So it's like you see a lot of cousins marrying cousins between these two families. I think it just so happens that Rhaenyra and Damon are probably the closest right. relations that like, do this. It's kind of icky, too, because he's presumably older than her. Yeah, mm-hmm. he too, is by quite a bit. And so when you think about the fact that when we're first introduced to their relationship, it's very clear that they're already kind of like lusting after each other. So then it it kind of feels a little gross when you think about how long that's been potentially going on. And, yeah, you know, we've had like th- there's been an ongoing discussion in society and also online with regards to grooming and stuff like that. I feel like this is probably a prime example of that when a lot of times there aren't good examples of that of examples of that being tossed around. Yeah. And speaking of medieval times, the show gets very violent, very suddenly. People mm-hmm. just like that because of the shock. It's not like, oh, I love watching that guy's eye get stabbed and he dies instantly. Like, you just want the thrill. You want the surprise. I think that's really what it comes down to. Yeah. I've seen some takes online from people who are not in favor of this saying like, yeah, okay, this did happen in medieval times. But guess what? They didn't have in medieval times. They didn't have dragons and there weren't witches (laughs) and there wasn't magic and there weren't white walkers. So given that this show like, yes, that's that's when it takes place. But it's doing all of these fantastical, magical things that didn't actually, that weren't actually grounded in reality. So then why does this aspect of the story need to be grounded in reality? It's a beautiful combination. Yeah, it's also, (laughs) I mean, you have to remember this is based on a book. Um, Yeah. So there, and this plot point of Rhaenyra and Damon is a pretty big part of the book. So blame George. (laughs) He really loves him some incest. Um, I I got some questions. Um, So now, George, why are you so into incest can top the list uh, before the top question in that list was, when are you going to finish your fucking books? (laughs) He did say in the last week that Winds of Winter is 75% finish. I've heard that before. I know. And this book has been in the works for what? At least 10 years. So that means you have like another three years to go at best. It's we're not going to get it. I've just accepted. Yeah. Um, Well, when we were planning for this discussion, I think it was Pam. I think you had brought up kind of the creepy obsession that people have with Damon in this show. Um, And I think it's very clear why that's creepy. I mean, clearly he's grooming Rhaenyra from a young age. There are also multiple instances of him becoming physically 
violent towards her (laughs) and other characters. Um, There's also a circumstance, we don't have to get into it, but there is a circumstance surrounding how Damon and Rhaenyra were able to get married (laughs) um, that that sort of adds some color here. Um, So I thought we could talk a little bit about that. And then there are a couple other examples of creepy male characters that the internet has thirsted over, right? Yeah, I think that the the latest, which again, you know, I know that part of this is also due to the actors that play them, but I'm begging the internet to take a step back and (laughs) separate those two things. Because it's very different for you to go online and be like, Jeffrey Dahmer was kind of hot, though. Like, why do you have to say that instead of I I must stand for Evan Peters, you know? Yeah. You know that that's really where that stems from. Or in a similar situation, when the show You transferred over from Lifetime to Netflix and everybody started watching it, people were really thirsting hardcore over Joe, who's played by played by Penn Badgley. And it wasn't until Penn Badgley did an interview saying that it was so wrong for people to be like, Joe's kind of hot. I wish I had a guy that loved me as much as Joe. (laughs) (laughs) That people started kind of like settling down a little bit. Like this guy's literally out here murdering people (laughs) and women to like force himself into his obsessions lives that, that's <laughs> how bleak so the wrong. dating scene is where joe from you I looks know. good it's like the bar, oh yeah the bar is so low for men it's sure, so low sure he's a murderer but like at least he'll pay attention to me for a little while which is more than i can say for my last relationship <laughs> no, right? and i i saw a trend going around on tiktok where gay men were saying young gay men like gen zers were saying Oh, if I had been around when Jeffrey Dahmer was committing all those murders, I could have changed him. <laughs> and I mean, I think a lot of that was tongue in cheek. Uh-huh. But I was also like, that's a bad take. <laughs> Please stop. That's one of those things you're going to look back on 10 years from now and you're going to be like, why was I tweeting? <laughs> I know. I do get that part of it is like edgy dark humor which is very mm-hmm. very trendy right now but with absolutely zero context it just looks awful and you're right nobody's gonna have the context for that when they're looking back at tweets and you know maybe even 20 years at the rate that the internet goes through trends so yeah, yeah. well in this situation also reminds me of what they're doing with this new hunger games book the ballad of songbirds and snakes and it follows snow before he came became President Snow, and they're going to turn him into a sympathetic lead character. If you read the story, you're 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 wanting to root for him. But they also cast some hot guy to play Coriolanus Snow, Tom Blith. And he's an attractive guy. So we're gonna be looking at trailers for this sometime next year. It comes out November 2023. And we're gonna be like, oh damn, President Snow is hot. President Snow is a horrible, evil person. You can't suddenly start liking him. I think we talked about this too because we both read the book. I think I remember talking about it. When I got through it most of out. it. I didn't finish it. Yeah, but the point is, is that like I just that book in general was it was so hard. I know that the point of it was to sympathize with the terrible person that we meet in the in the trilogy that we got first but it's so hard to do that in the book and i just kind of i'm worried that the 
the movie is going to try to make it easier to sympathize. With, <laughs> yeah. When, yeah. when it's like we shouldn't sympathize with a guy that was like literally out here trying to kill children. Yeah. And before you know it, there's going to be a TikTok trend of people twerking against a picture <laughs> of young President Snow being like me uh, getting President Snow to pick me for the Hunger Games or something like that. <laughs> That's going to happen. Right. I could fix him. <laughs> and you know he's going to be shirtless in a couple of scenes and we're going to be like, oh, fuck, I really do want him to fuck me. But damn it, he's Snow. <laughs> Remember what he did to Katniss. Remember what he did to Katniss. Remember what he did to Katniss. Well, to kind of wrap things up here, I just wanted to see if we wanted to share some final thoughts on season one of House of the Dragon. I know there was some, at at least on my part, there was some hesitancy because I was so burned by Game of Thrones that I wasn't sure if I wanted to get into this. Um, And I know, I feel like most of the internet kind of felt the same way, but it seems like this show has done i mean it's done really well people have stuck with it its yeah. ratings have been great so i would i would yeah. like to hear from y'all i enjoyed it actually i loved it was the second or third to last episode of the season when a certain major character dies i thought that episode was mm-hmm. absolutely perfect the the pacing <laughs> To to quote uh, Harry Potter directors, um, the elements they were working through in that episode, I just thought that was a really awesome episode. It was shocking too. Like there was a lot to love in that, so that really sealed the deal for me. And then the season finale, I thought was pretty good as well. Certainly ends on a very good cliffhanger. And yeah, I'm looking forward to season two. I hope I really need them to not make certain scenes so dark. That drives me nuts. I think they get off on pissing off viewers. I think they also know that viewers get off on um, watching the violence and the incest. So it's a beautiful circle that they've created. (laughs) Supply and demand. The the creators and the fans hate each other. They're disgusted by each other. And that's why it works. Uh, I agree with you on the two episodes that you brought up, the... The one with the major character death was really well done. And I also think that the the last act of the season finale was really well done as well. I think it it, it really kind of keeps you on the hook to find out what happens next. I think the cast is really good, too, regardless of how you feel about the story. Emma Darcy, fantastic. Matt Smith is doing a great job, too. I'm actually, like, strangely impressed by how they managed to fit so many years into the first season, because it was kind of weird to, um, you know, switch out actors for certain characters, but it like, it didn't really take long to settle into the new faces, which I was really impressed by. So I think that that is a testament to how well they went about making sure that it was as seamless as possible. I would agree. I think the casting was really good for that transition. I was a little worried that wasn't going to work, but I did find myself understanding it all. I will say to that point, and I agree with y'all about the the one episode that we've mentioned here and then some of the, you know, part of the final act of the last episode. Those were the high points of the season for me. But I wanted to point out, I wanted to see if anyone else felt this way. I was particularly impressed with the time jump as it related to Alicent. 
I thought the casting there was just spot on for a moment when I first saw her after the time jump. Yeah. I wasn't sure if it was the same actress Mm -hmm. aged up. They, I mean, and really they did a phenomenal job with Rhaenyra as well, but I thought that it was just very seamless with that character in particular. And really the whole cast is amazing. They did an incredible job casting and I, you know, the cast and their performances, those were really the things that kept me coming back because I felt like the story was really rehashing a lot of the same story beats or at least trying to rehash the same story beats as season one of Game of Thrones. And I didn't think those were as impactful or as shocking as season one of Game of Thrones, which tells me like there's a reason why that was the story HBO told first and not this one, because I I don't think this is as good of a story personally, but it was good enough that I will come back for season two. I have my critiques, but I will turn up for season two. Okay. I think I think you're right. I think that um, you definitely as somebody, if you are coming to this show, having watched Game of Thrones, which I know most people are, but some aren't, I think it's impossible not to see certain archetypes rehashed for House of the Dragon. And so in that sense, it does kind of feel like it's a little bit lazy because they should be able to do something inherently new. But I also think that you have a really good point, which is at the end of the day, this is all marketing and and meant to make the network money. And it's a lot more palatable to show some to show people something that they already know and have a good touchstone for instead of showing them something completely new. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't know if this point was brought up on the show or on Twitter. Maybe I saw my favorite social network. But uh, somebody brought up Law and Order has like, you know, 30 seasons and four or five different spinoffs. It's the same thing every time. That's that's the world of Game of Thrones. It's the same stuff over mm-hmm. and over again. Play the hits. That's what people want. A procedural. A procedural. It's it's succession. It's who's going to take the throne. That's what people want to <laughs> see with some fucking and some uh, the Backstabbing, blood. Backstabbing, literally. Yeah, <laughs> Backstabbing incest. incest and dark scenes. Child yeah. murder. Yeah. <laughs> it's It's the shock and all and the succession of it all. Well, enough about House of the Family Dick. Next week on the show, the episode will be released Thursday. We'll be recording Wednesday night because Tuesday are the midterm elections here in these United States of America. So we'll see how the results play out Tuesday night and we'll talk through it all on Wednesday. And then that episode will be out on Thursday. If you want to get our live reactions, we'll be recording Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. So maybe you can join us on Patreon for that. I think we all recommend voting this week, right? <laughs> Just to yeah. get into recommendations. Should that be our like group recommendation? <laughs> I was yeah. thinking that too. For, last, for next week. <laughs> okay, group rec. Please go and vote. Obviously, we didn't really touch on really any politics stuff this week. And there was a reason for that. We know that with the election coming up next week, You're all being inundated with political news, and a lot of what we would talk about is stuff that y'all probably already know, and we know it's exhausting, 
It's exhausting for us. It's exhausting for you. So we're just going to keep all of it to our election reaction episode next week. And if you're interested in that, that's where you'll go for millennial election coverage. Exactly. So we'll see you all next week. And coming up in After Dark today, we'll have a laid back discussion. We want to talk about what sucks when you're a kid but gets cool when you grow up. And we've brought our own answers, but then we'll talk about some popular answers we found online, and then we'll be flipping that on its head and talking about what was cool when we were kids that sucks now. So we'll be running off in a bunch of different directions today. Patreon.com slash millennial is where you can get After Dark. When you do pledge at the $5 level or higher, you will get access to Mega Millennial, which is the main show, ad-free with After Dark at the end. And by the way, haven't promoted this yet because we've been focused on the adulting planner, but Apple Podcast users, if you go to Millennial in the Apple Podcasts app, you will now be presented with the ability to subscribe to Millennial for $5.99 a month and receive Mega Millennial right within Apple Podcasts. So if you want to support us, but you don't want to do it through Patreon, and use Apple Podcasts, check that out. You can get Mega Millennial, which is ad-free millennial with After Dark, right through the Apple Podcasts app. $5.99 a month or $64.99 a year. You get a little discount if you pledge a year up front. So no matter how you support us, thank you, everybody. We really do appreciate it. And a couple other reminders. Make sure you follow the show for free in your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. And if you have any feedback about today's episode, you can email millennialshow at gmail.com or you can use the contact form or confessional on millennialshow.com. And then finally, follow us on social media. We're Millennial Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And then over on TikTok, we are Millennial Pod. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Happy holidays. A happy new year. I'm Andrew. I'm leaning fully into the holiday season. I was like, wait, you didn't even say happy Halloween? (laughs) (laughs) Halloween's over. Yeah, I have my pumpkin behind me, but Halloween's over. Okay, Halloween's never over in my heart. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. Bye, everybody. Bye.